Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz. Great to have your company as we kick off the afternoon with the call 10 stocks that you've suggested we analyse. I put it to an expert panel for their adjudication. Fast and furious, a lot of fun, a lot of information in the next 60 minutes or so and so much to talk about. I don't know whether I'm getting old and I keep forgetting the previous earnings season, but this earnings season just seems to be bigger and better and more news, more to talk about than ever before, which is what gets our juices flowing here on Osbys, that's for sure. And uh, I'm sure it's getting the juices flowing. Well, maybe not the juices, but anyhow, uh, the attention of our expert panel today, Henry Jennings from Marcus today. Henry, how are you, sir? Good, thanks, David. How are you? Good, good. And, uh, and also Michael Wayne from uh, Medallion. Michael, how are you, mate? How are you going? Well, I'm well surviving. I'm getting through lockdowns and, and the reporting season. But as Henry touched upon in the, the pre, pre-show, basically tomorrow is the biggest and most busy day of the earnings season. So good luck trying to catch up with all the reports that come out tomorrow, yep. um, as well as everything that's reported so far. Yep. That's amazing. All right, let's get stuck into it because we've got a lot to talk about and I love hearing from you too. Great panel today. Um, I choose a stock of the day and we have so many stocks to choose from with over 20 companies handing down numbers, but you can't go past BHP and Woodside, their news um, that dropped overnight in the UK. BHP speeding up its exit of oil and gas selling its petroleum business to Woodside, which will in turn create a top 10 independent oil and gas producer worth $38.5 billion. The move will see BHP uh, exit from the, uh, from the um, UK stock exchange um, and only be listed here in Australia. It's got a dual listing at the moment. Um, had a dual listing when it merged with BHP, uh, when it merged with Billiton. Uh, and it comes as the mining giant reporting underlying earnings at a decade high. On the flip side, um, so there's BHP's earnings, uh, profit $11 billion, underlying profit $17 billion, record final dividend of $2 a share, uh, almost $6 billion in CapEx for expansion into, uh, into the Janssen project, the Potash project. On the flip side, Woodside first half numbers remiss despite rising 17% on the back of surging oil demand. The market is split 
on the uh, plans for it to take on BHP's um, oil assets and questions around the real uh, the value of the deal for Woodside shareholders. Um, so that's just a, a summary. Um, Michael Wayne, market market really doesn't like the deal, does it? What do you think of it? Well, I mean, there's a, this sums up reporting season. There's a, a, an awful lot going on here with BHP. Um, obviously, they have their results, but in and around all of that, uh, they're exiting the petroleum part of their business. They're entering potash. They're now spending, I think, about half a billion dollars in unifying their 20-year-old dual listing. So there's a lot of different points that are probably feeding into the, the share price there. But looking at the, the petroleum and the oil side of the business, BHP really spent years building up uh, that part of their exposure to energy. They, you might recall they had the shale oil exposures in the US, which they ended up selling at a, a large loss going back a couple of years now. They're now looking to exit completely um, with this deal with Woodside Petroleum. Um, in some ways, it might be driven by ESG. Um, that could be definitely a catalyst to it. Um, but the fact is that the energy assets were one of the few growth assets that BHP had. Or that, that might be a little bit of an extreme way of putting it, but those assets were meant to have a lot of growth potential in them. But they've obviously made a decision to concentrate on their core operations being iron ore, um, copper, and to a lesser extent, coking coal. Um, they will end up with a fair amount of cash out of this, and that will um, the arsenal to go out there and potentially take on another acquisition or a new deal, which always does concern me at these points in the cycle. Um, but you do see this really across many businesses, across many different sectors, whether it's the banks or Westfield in the past, they build up these diversified operations before sort of hiving assets off over time. So it's not uncommon, um, but very interesting and probably a, a positive for Woodside in, in that sense. Okay, so does it, how do you rate BHP and Woodside? Would they be buyers for you on this? Look, neither of them are buyers at this point. Um, the problem for Woodside over the last five, 10 years has been, although it's had very high quality energy assets um, with cost of production in the lower quartile globally, um, they have lacked the growth assets. They've had a very mature business and, and very mature growth profile with declining mine life or resource life. So this I think is a net positive for Woodside because it does give them access to what are some decent quality growth assets potentially. But I would like to see them pull it off first. And BHP's done a terrific job over the last couple of years. We've got clients in there, but at this point of the cycle, it's hard to keep piling new money and chasing the price higher. Um, we do think that iron ore potentially will continue to soften as demand from China eases and some of the production comes online from Brazil. We do think copper looks very, very good, and that's definitely going to be a positive for BHP. And the coking coal price seems to be pretty buoyant. So there's definitely some positive drivers for BHP, but at these levels, um, we just give both a miss. Yeah. Henry? Um, David, this is a transformational deal. This is the turning... The juggernaut that is BHP, this absolute behemoth in the mining industry, into a 20th century boy, uh, in the words of the great Mark Boland. This is out with the old and in with the new to some extent. We've got a new CEO in terms of Woodside with Meg O'Neill, who has now been confirmed as permanent CEO. But more importantly, BHP is shedding its oil and gas assets, as you say, and moving into nickel and moving into potash. It's very confusing at the moment because on the one hand, you've got the, the 
the driving force is the arbitrages because collapsing the dual listed structure with those PLC shares in London and the ASX listed ones here is creating a bit of a strange picture. We've got BHP down 6% here and in London they were up 3% and ADRs were down 8%. Hmm. So there's a lot of players at the moment that will be buying the London PLC because it traded at nearly an 18% discount. And you'll remember some years ago, Elliott Advisors were trying to get BHP to collapse this structure and BHP said, no, no, it's too expensive to do it. Well, clearly there are costs involved in this and the costs at the moment are being borne by the Australian shareholders because they're seeing their shares come down as UK shares go up. We need to get this back into equilibrium because they will be they will be pari passu, which means they'll pretty much be the same instrument in the months to come. And so we need to get this out of the system before we can make any real judgments. For me, BHP Australia is looking interesting at these kind of levels. What are we? 48, uh, 30 at the moment. Stunning set of numbers. Stunning dividend. BHP very much got its mojo back, and uh, Rocky. Uh, Peter O'Connor from Shore and Partners talked about this before, how BHP had become a Monday company rather than a Friday company. People were excited to come to work. This is a very exciting development for BHP to push into potash, to push into nickel, to push, continuing to push into copper and to stamp their ESG credentials and to stamp their intent in becoming a 21st century company rather than looking back at 20th century fossil fuels is a significant, very significant move for the company. And it's not going to come without some pain, at least in the short term. It's going to cost them three or four hundred bucks, million bucks just to collapse this structure. And the arbitrage guys, they're going to be buying houses in Mossman mm. for, for years to come on the back of this because it's just going to be absolute heaven. The Elliott Advisor guys must have just cleaned up <laughs> uh, being short ASX and long PLC shares. And the same thing happens in the US, of course, because those ADRs, you can break an ADR into ordinary shares, BHP, ASX shares. And similarly, you can convert ASX, BHP into an ADR. There's a two for one. So they're, they're trading equivalent. You know, they fell last night by um, 8% as uh, people were buying those PLC, selling the ADRs and selling ASX shares. And this arbitrage is going to go for some time. As right. far as the Woodside deal goes, I think it's a, a, it's a positive deal for BHP. It's a positive deal for Woodside. They needed something. They needed to get big or get out to some extent uh, because it's a big players game. And now they are one of the top 10 players. Um, I'm going to wait to see how the dust settles on this one. They're both probably a hold at the moment. But I think uh, once the dust does settle, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how it goes from here. But uh, BHP has been very okay. brave, as Sir Humphrey would say. Okay, uh, two questions. Henry, Woodside's yep. been a serial underperformer, uh, yep. been horrible. Uh, well, will this make them a star or will they bugger this up as well? Uh, <laughs> I don't know about buggering it up. I think the problem is that they've, they've had this sort of sort of Damocles hanging over their head. And so there's these massive big assets around that Chevron, various other players have been uh, putting up for sale in the Scarborough project. The FID is still pending on that one. So they, there's a lot of sort of uh, pieces in this in this chessboard that are moving, and it requires money and capital and access to that capital. I think a bigger Woodside with a new CEO who obviously can drive a hard bargain and has ambitions beyond what we saw Peter Coleman do, uh, 
uh, when he was in charge, I think is a positive for Woodside. And we may see okay. uh, the better days ahead for Woodside. And, and secondly, for Australian shareholders, listed shareholders of BHP, would you be taking advantage of the pullback as all these sort of smarty arbitrages muck the market up? <laughs> well, I don't know about mucking the market up, David. I mean, at the end of the day, BHP, because of this dual structure, they had this big discount in London. Now, the London shares should trade at a discount because they don't get the franking benefits that Australian right. shareholders get. So there, there is a discount there. Um, hopefully it will close up relatively quickly. And we saw that, you know, we've seen a 6% fall in BHP here and a 3.5% rise in BHP in London. So that's already closed up 9.5% out of that 17% discount that it was. So it is moving in the right direction. There's probably a little bit more movement to come. And then once they've stabilised, then they can trade together, if you like. So a move in, in ASX will, will require a move in the PLC. So I think this is starting to look pretty attractive at uh, 48 bucks and change, I've got to say. But I just wait a few more days for these right. arbitrage boys to, uh, to sort out their lines of credit and get their positions uh, well and truly on and uh, start counting the money. Okay. All right. Fascinating stuff. All right, let's get into the uh, 10 stocks that you want us to have a look at. And uh, Michael Benji wants a view on Deterra Royalties. Now, it's uh, um, Australia's largest mining royalty business, came out of a demerger with Aluka Resources, uh, basically collects royalties over the iron ore mined in Area Mining C, which is operated by, by BHP. Um, basically, Deterra is is an iron ore company that only has accountants in it. Would that be about right? Yeah, they just cash the yeah. check and sort of do the That's figures. That's about right. Um, so they get basically all the upside of the mine development, the mine expansion, the mine production, uh, without the exposure to many of the risks normally associated with mining. So not a, not a bad position to be in if you can get it. Um, so as you say, spun out of Aluka last year, um, the first pure royalties play on the ASX. I think they've got six different royalties that they've got exposure to. But the main big daddy in the room is, as you say, the very matter-of-fact mining area C. Um, so basically, I think there's about 57 million tonnes of production that come out of this mine per year. The mine life is very, very long. I think some forecasts have it operating to 2070. So many years, hopefully, of, of good royalties still come forth. Um, I think it basically entitles them to about one and a half, maybe percent of the revenue that comes out of that mine. Um, so pretty decent dollars if you can get it. So look, from my, from my perspective, it's obviously you've got to have a view on the iron ore price, um, but also a view on that particular mine. And, and the expectation, I think, is that they're going to look to continue to expand production coming out of that mine in the years to come. So not only is it a, a long mine life, but there's potential for the mine uh, production numbers to pick up. So if you do want a pure iron ore exposure, um, I think you could do worse than going down this path. Normally, you've got to take into account the counterparty risk and whether or not the mining operators are going to be able to pay you. Um, in this case, being BHP or BHP being the primary counterparty, um, I think you're pretty safe there. So it is quite well liked across the market, and you can see why. Uh, in an environment where iron ore prices have been going up, it, it should do quite well. Um, but you have to always be careful on the flip side if we do see iron ore softening a little bit then you've got to be careful so from my perspective it's a hold uh, you could do a lot worse than this and give you some good direct exposure to iron ore mm. uh, henry 
Yes, I mean, I mean, Deterra is is basically a derivative. It, it it's a, the royalty stream from South Flank, which is their main income, as Michael rightly points out. The great thing about this one is being a derivative. It's a bit like AWC being the derivative with Alcoa, but this one, at least the management is not charging a fortune to pick up the royalty checks. Uh, they only seem to charge four million bucks for that last time out. So that's not bad money for just popping down the post office, opening up your PO box and picking up the check from BHP to some extent. Uh, keeping that uh, that cost down of those uh, Ubers to get to the post office is important for shareholders because you don't want it blowing out like it does with AWC. I've got to say, if, if you want this, this is this is a nice yielding play with a good leverage to the upside in terms of iron ore. But if you want iron ore leverage, why not just go to the big daddy of them? Why not just go to Fortescue? Yep. You know, they're, they're very generous with shareholders. They're massively geared to the iron ore price, positive and negative. Deterra is uh, geared to it, but they don't have any say in, in, in their own destiny. They are just a derivative. They just sit there. The bloke goes down the post office, opens the door with his key, picks up the check and cycles back to the office and says, what's for lunch? You know, <laughs> at the end of the day, I'd rather be in Fortescue, to be honest, if, if iron ore is the way you want to play it. It's, it's got a great yield, great management, great, great cost structure, and it controls its own destiny, which the Terra doesn't. Yep. It's just a, a, a lunch club, basically, for royalty checks. Yep. So uh, not, 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 really, not, not really for me. Yeah. Um, Michael, with Fortescue, it is a pure iron ore play as well, isn't it? And all the things that... Henry was saying, is is that the attraction of Fortescue, that it is purely in one commodity, they do it well, they don't try and be all things to all people? Well, it's the attraction now. Um, you go back four or five years and it was a, it was a negative, right? Yeah, when yeah, the, almost when the went, went broke. Was collapsing. <laughs> so you've got to take the, the good with the bad. I, I suppose Fortescue obviously has the control, um, they've got their, their hand, their destiny in their own hands, um, but they've obviously spent a lot of money and taken on a lot of risk to deliver those sorts of returns. So I suppose with Deterra, um, it's a lower risk exposure because you're not as exposed to cost blowouts, et cetera, from the expansion side of things. You just merely reap the benefits of the upside. So it's never going to be as high returning as something like a Fortescue, but it's probably yeah. lower risk um, and that's probably the way to look at it but I do agree with Henry that if you are going to take a view on iron ore you might as well get maximum upside and to get maximum upside if it does if your view does come off yeah. then Fortescue would be the way to play it. Yeah interesting all right we've kicked off with a bit of a focus on iron ore and uh, BHP and um, uh, don't forget straight after the call here on Ausbiz just after 1 p.m eastern uh, David Lamont, the uh, BHP CFO, is joining us live at 1.30 Eastern to take us through all of what they've got planned for BHP, the rationale behind it and insight into their uh, into the figures that have been released. So David, live at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, which will uh, be fascinating. All right, uh, let's get on to our next stock and... Uh, Michael Oscar wants uh, an assessment on Breville Group um, off the back of their, their results that were out. Sales up 25%, profit up 29%. Um, Breville shares down though, uh, even though it was a good result, they cut their dividend. And that would have surprised the market a bit. They weren't too happy. 
Yeah, look, Gribble's one I've been watching for years and never bought it. Um, wish I had. And I think I've said that before on this show when asked about Breville. It's just amazing how, you know, in my view, a, a Jaffel press maker has been able to succeed so well overseas. But that's me being guilty of, of first order thinking. And it just shows you in life you've got to look beneath the bonnet um, and really do your research because it's a very impressive business. Um, they continue to expand at, at incredible rates overseas, over and above sort of market demand, which shows they continue to win more and more market share. The recent bout of results were basically in line with the market expectations. So they delivered a clean set of numbers. Um, perhaps they did underwhelm the market, as you said, by cutting dividends. But that's because they are spending a fair bit on marketing, product development, so that, so that when they enter these new markets or continue to push into the North American market, they can make the most of it. So perhaps it's the market being a little bit short-sighted in that they're not getting all their, their cookies at once this year, but it could really pay off for them uh, in future years to come because from reading the report and listening to what management are saying, the reasoning behind that is because they are, as I said, looking to really nut out high quality products and then looking to make sure that when they enter say the european market fully fledged mm -hmm. that they have the the research down pat and they've got the marketing and the development really um on on an even keel so from my standpoint it remains a hold of any significant pullback it's definitely worth looking at but i'll leave it at a hold for now yeah henry the the dividend even though it's been cut is going to become fully franked uh they previously announced their they were reducing their their payout ratio from seventy uh, percent to uh, to forty percent on a full year basis. So that was in the market. Now I suppose it's that, as Michael was saying, this trade off off of executives, isn't it? Uh, putting money into investing back in the business or paying it out <laughs> to the market. Oh yeah, God forbid you actually put money into the business to make profits bigger in, in further years down the track, rather than just giving shareholders goodies now. Um, that, that seems a very short-sighted uh, attitude, I've got to say. The, the results themselves were pretty good, I've got yeah. to say. Um, they are pushing into new geographical areas, including Italy and Mexico, France and Portugal, which is also a positive. They are spending a lot of money on R&D because, let's face it, you've got to make your coffee machines look sexy. You've got to make them work well, especially if you're going to Italy. Let's face it, if you're going to sell coffee machines in Italy, <laughs> you've got to get that one right. Otherwise, you're completely stuffed. The, the problem I think that the market saw was all about supply chains, all about input costs, and all about, I guess, to some extent, the chip shortage as well. Uh, and getting parts at the right place at the right time to put these machines together to make our lives in the kitchen a little bit more uh, livable, I guess. To some extent, I think they got a little bit um, hard done by the market. Solly Lou is a major, major shareholder, premium investment, I think owns around 28% of this one. It can be thin and it does have bouts of volatility. And I think we're seeing that bout at the moment, I've got to say. Starting to look interesting. And for me, between 28 bucks and 30 bucks, I know that's quite a wide range. Okay, let's say $29 and 30 bucks it's starting to look like an accumulate and I would be looking to buy this one. Uh, they are spending money on R&D, they are spending money on IT systems, they are spending money on um, getting their marketing strategy right. This is a great Australian success story. They've done extraordinarily well. George Clooney has helped them, obviously, with the whole Nespresso thing. Uh, they've also got uh, lots of other products. I see they're pushing into um, those little um, those little bags that I think it's the sous vide 
where you can cook food in the little bags at the right yep. temperature and all that sort of stuff. This is snazzy stuff. This this takes you know this takes a little bit of design. See, a lot of people wouldn't stop. know Nespresso comes under the Breville umbrella. Well, I mean they're, they're separate companies, obviously, yep. in terms of uh, you know Nescafe and, and Nestle. Uh, doing the George Clooney thing, but the the Breville are making the machines, machines that yeah, you put your little capsules in. So they're licensed to do this. So um, we're all sitting at home, and we're all going to be sitting at home for yeah. a lot longer, and we're all going to be missing our um, cappuccinos from the local shops. So this is has been driving this company. It's a good stay at home story, I think. So between twenty nine bucks and thirty bucks, which is kind of where they are now, I would be looking to accumulate. And I think they got a little bit hard done by yesterday a little bit of softness today but it is thin at times solly knows what he's doing this is this is a stunningly in good innovative australian success story yep. and i'd be buying it below um, well i guess below 30 dollars. i think i'll be looking at it yep it is fantastic success story is and i think your grandmother was using them it's just a great icon that's continue to evolve yeah. unlike a lot of iconic companies um, they they sit on their backside, but um, and reap it in when they can. Breville just keeps evolving. It's great. Um, cash converters. Carl wants a view on uh, Henry. Uh, Carl poses a question: Is it too risky? Uh, they're of course the uh, the franchised secondhand goods, and also they're into loan books and all of this sort of thing. Uh, Seven hundred and five stores across sixteen countries. Uh, their loan book, they recently said, uh, was increasing 14% for the last half year. Um, what do you think of cash converters? They did, they do come into a bit of regulatory issues at times too, don't they? Yeah, I mean, it's a pawn shop under another name, yeah. let's face it, and a bit of a payday lender. Um, and I can't find anything that would possibly think that I would want to buy this stock. There's so many new fintechs out there that are going to be lending you money. There's, there's, we've got Afterpay, which obviously everyone knows about, but there's a before pay. Now, these are guys that lend you money against your paycheck. And I think Brian Hartzer from Westpac is one of the gentlemen that is behind that one. There is so much competition in the fintech space. There is a lot of competition in the retail space. Um, I just can't see particularly any really good reason why you'd want to buy this. There's so many great stocks out there that don't have the regulatory issues, uh, the stigma, et cetera, et cetera, around this one. I really, it's like the old TGA, Radio Rentals. I mean, that was another one of those um, businesses that just, I don't know, why would you, why would you buy the stock at the yep. end of the day? For me, this is definitely a no. Right. Sorry. Sorry, Carl, it's not for me. <laughs> Michael? I tend to agree. It's very much sort of a 20th century business. Um, when you look at their, their four business units, they've got personal finance, they've got vehicle finance, and they've got corporate stores and then franchise operations. When it comes to personal finance and vehicle finance, it's very hard to see how they can compete in a new age, modern modern world. Um, obviously, they've got a lot of the franchise arrangements out there, but it's not a business that's got really high margins or, or very good metrics at all. If you look at the business over a five-year period, uh, the, the steady structural decline is evident. You look at revenue, it's lower than five years ago. Earnings are very, very lumpy. Margins have been shrinking. Return on equity has been falling. So all those key metrics um, suggest that something's up with the business. And then you do a little bit more research and you can understand why. Uh, as Henry's pointed out, there's a plethora of 
alternatives that have either been in the market for some time now or that are coming to market. So it's going to be very difficult for this business to make good headway going forward. And for that reason, I'll be steering clear. And it's a, a clear sell for me too. Okay. All right. Michael Bianca wants a view on Alkane Resources, the, uh, the gold production uh, company, uh, projects in central western New South Wales. Um, what do you think of Alkane? Yeah, I must admit, it's not one that I'd come across before in the gold space. Uh, my understanding is, although it does have some gold production, they've got a few different exploration assets as well, not only in gold, but in other commodities. Um, I think they've recently extended the mine life, which is a, a definitely yep. a positive. Um, but ultimately, you've got to have a view on gold and, and gold has taken a, a bit of a hit, particularly the gold producers in, in recent times. Um, which means it's probably a time to be looking at picking up some of those gold producers rather than when things are, are running hot. Um, our preference in the gold space, probably like a lot of other people, is Evolution Mining and Northern Star. Um, we do prefer Australian-based gold producers um, because they do incur their costs in Australian dollars, sell their gold in US dollars, which over the long term can be quite good. Um, although in this current environment where the Aussie dollar has actually been um, depreciating, uh, it can be a bit of a challenge. But the fact is, um, we, we don't, look, we don't mind gold from a long-term standpoint. When it comes to Alkane specifically, maybe Henry can shed a bit more light because I'm not across it too much, I must admit. Yep. Henry? Uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Michael. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I guess it's one of those uh, ones that's sort of on the periphery of uh, the gold producers in terms of its... Um, its production profile, it's not really big enough to get that excited about, to be honest. Uh, the cost base is still relatively high and those all in sustaining costs. I think they were around uh, 1669 Aussie dollars an ounce, which is not the cheapest place to, uh, to be. They are expanding. They have had some good drill results, but it does get predicated on the gold price, as Michael rightly points out. They had a pretty big run up to $1.20, and they've come all the way back down to below a dollar again. They're starting to show some signs that maybe uh, things are turning. And to be quite fair on, on gold producers everywhere, the gold price has had a couple of good days. It had a bit of a smash, but it hasn't really recovered in terms of the gold miners' share prices, it has in terms of the bullion price, which I think at one stage hit sort of 1,700 US a ton, uh, an ounce rather, not a ton, an ounce before it uh, it's bounced back more towards the 1,800 level. So that, that I think we got some catch up to do with the gold stocks at the moment, and maybe this one is stirring, especially on those better results they got out of Boda or Boda uh, the mm. other day. So there is potential here. But uh, as Michael says, there's probably better uh, leverage plays to the gold price. This one's got a hedge book as well, so it doesn't always get the same leverage to the gold price. I still like DeGray, which is one of my favorites. There's also another interesting one called DGO Mines, and I interviewed the, uh, the CEO of that stock and, and the, uh, one of the non-exec directors uh, a couple of weeks ago for, uh, for the newsletter. And that's quite interesting because that's, major asset is DeGray, but it also has a couple of green and brownfields projects that the market doesn't seem to be giving any value to. So that, that's interesting. Mm. And I think if you look at the Northern Star story, you'll notice that there was a gentleman by the name of Bill Beamont, who was very heavily involved in Northern Star, and he's gone off to do his own thing with a stock called VentureX at the moment, which has been doing quite well and attracting a bit of attention. So that might be one to look at. Yeah. To be honest, Alkane could bounce a little bit, but 
I think there's better ways to play the gold okay. price if you are a gold bull. All right. Uh, Henry Lucas wants your view on Nine Entertainment. The, uh, the big media company owns the Nine Network, of course. Uh, the Fairfax Newspaper Masthead, City Morning Herald, The Age, Financial Review, uh, Domain, uh, The Stand Streaming Service. Uh, what do you think of Nine? Well, because I'm talking to you, Koshi, I obviously have to be quite bearish on Nine. Um, <laughs> so so uh, i got to say, I, I don't mind this one. It's, um, it's done all the right things, I guess, to some extent. Um, you know, from being a, a, just a TV company, it's got the, fir- the Fairfax assets under its belt, and it has got the sleeper in Stan. Now, yeah. I know streaming services are kind of ten a penny these days, and every man and his dog seems to be streaming. And if you subscribe to all the things, it's ridiculous, from um, Hula and all these other things. It's, it's crazy. And I think uh, Paramount's now got a streaming service. Yep, and Universal. It, it's, yep. it's crazy. But Stan, uh, it's been around a while. It's got some relatively good content on it. Nine has been doing very well in managing its assets and I guess coordinating its assets as well because when you've got that cross-platform ability to use the Fairfax Press mm-hmm. to promote Stan and vice versa and Nine Network feeds into that. They missed out on the Olympics, obviously, and that was a big boom for Channel 7. And I think, got to say, Channel 7, tick for you guys. You did an absolute stand-up job, I thought, of the Olympics. I was glued to the screen. It was fantastic. I know some people didn't like it, but I did. I thought it was great. Um, and I think you did, Seven did a great job. Nine is definitely a hold because of that stand. And also, I think advertising is uh, making a sort of a bit mm. of a comeback. And I think we're turning against, I don't know, are we turning against the social media ad side of things? Are we turning against the Facebook ads and the constant, that side of things are, are more in tune with uh, a trusted companion especially as we're sitting at home watching it a lot more these days so yeah. for me i guess you could probably even go by with nine network i've got to say okay. online entertainment all right uh michael what do you think of nine inherently i'm probably averse to something like like nine just given some of the structural headwinds not only facing free-to-air tv but obviously radio um, as well as the newspaper mastheads but they've definitely made a good fist of it and, and made the best of a, a bad situation and really emerged through this period of, of change um, for all the traditional media type platforms in a very strong position relative to a lot of their, their peers. So they've got to be definitely commended on that. They've got some exposure to Domain. Uh, they've also obviously got Stan, which they've built into a sizable powerhouse, at least here in Australia when it comes to streaming services. Um, Stan Sport has got access these days, I think, to the UEFA Champions League. They've obviously got access to rugby. I'm not sure if anyone else watches it other than me, though. But they've also managed to come to some agreements with Facebook and Google. (laughs) They've come to agreements with Facebook on Google um, over sort of three and five year period on how to get paid, at least for some of their news content and videos, etc. So... They're definitely making a good fist of it. So whether or not I would buy it, I'm still a little bit cautious on the long-term outlook. So for mine, it's probably a hold towards a sell, just because if you're building a portfolio of 15, 20 stocks, this probably doesn't make it in the the top 20, but still to be commended nevertheless. Okay. All right. Let's recap the first five stocks. Uh, BHP, a hold from Henry Ano from Michael, the same with Woodside. Uh, Tatera, a, a no from... Henry, a hold from Michael. Both say if you want to 
have leverage into the iron ore market. Uh, just go Fortescue. Uh, Breville a hold from Michael. Um, starting to get really interesting for, uh, for Henry, uh, getting down to between that $29 and $30 mark, which um, he'd be interested as a buy there. It's about that now. Uh, cash converters are no. Alcane resources are no. Uh, Northern Star and Evolution, better alternatives for Michael. Uh, companies like DeGray and DGO um, uh, for Henry. And uh, nine, a yes from Henry and a hold from Michael. Uh, here on the call, we've been following our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner, Nabtrade. Any stocks that get two thumbs up goes into the portfolio. Let's see how it's been doing for the week, down at half a percent, uh, just in the uh, black for the month. And since the 1st of July last month, uh, up just over 2%. Um, some of the stocks are recently added. Magnus Energy Technologies, Telstra, Rays, BHP and McScarley. Some of the stocks removed. Janison Education, Virgin Money, Link Administration and the Asia Technology Tigers ETF. If you want to see all the stocks in the calls portfolio, go to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And... Bit of a reminder, um, now more than ever, it is time to put the focus on your super, the very latest news, all the tips and tricks, actionable insights. Join our panel of experts as we go beyond the fees and the funds and explain simply what your super, your future means for you. Uh, join us live and free for a special event, um, Super Returns, brought to you by Virgin Money. Uh, for a chat with our experts, plus join the conversation with a live Q&A. So you can register at osbiz.co slash super returns. All kicks off Friday, August 20 at 12 p.m. Eastern. All right, let's, um, our six stock, uh, Henry uh, James wants a view on Soralto. Uh, it's a, uh, like a fintech, is a transaction services business at, supplies business-to-business -business payment solutions. They've uh, done a partnership recently with MasterCard. Uh, yeah, there's just so many of these around at the moment, isn't it? It's hard. If you, if you were a business yourself, how would you make the decision of which one to go with? It would be really hard work, I think. Um, this is one of those stocks that had a mighty rise and was one of those kind of I guess they're an Australian meme stock, but they, they hit 12 cents at one stage, back to 6.8 cents. They did buy a company called Invigor uh, recently and just completed that acquisition. I think this one needs to bed down a little more. I think it, it had that big run from 3 cents to 12, and everyone got really excited. Then I think reality bit a little bit to some extent. And I think they've, um, you know, they need to bed down this latest acquisition. They've got cash, 190 odd $3 million market cap. I think they've got cash of around uh, $21 million. So that means they won't have to raise any more if the time being. But I, I can't really see the catalyst at the moment. And it's just hard to see how you stand out in fintech land at the moment. If, if you were a customer of a fintech, who would you pick? Where would you go? Whether you mm. go the Tyro um, or a Seralta, I don't know, whatever your requirements are. Um, but there are, you get a plethora of choices. And I think this one just needs to bed down. It's probably a hold. Um, it's one that captures the imagination of the herd from time to time. So on that basis, it's a hold because at some stage, 
the uh, the mean boys will get it going again and they'll try and run it back up to sort of <laughs> seven or eight, nine cents. Um, is That is their want and that is the, the way they go. So they won't let it go, but right. uh, I think it needs to consolidate around the six cent, seven okay. cent level. Michael? Yeah, from doing a little bit of reading into it, there was a lot of buzzwords and a, a lot of industry lingo, but getting to the crux of it, it looks to be just simply sort of business to business transaction software and services. Um, so it helps with point of sales, you know, debt collection, different payments, reduces the reliance on EFT transfers. Um, and this can help with like recovery non-payment and improving efficiency of your payments by matching your cash outflows with your cash inflows, all that sort of stuff. Um, and we're looking at the actual balance sheet, looking at some of the numbers. Cash receipts have been pretty good in recent times, but it's off a very, very low base. Um, so you want to start to see their absolute numbers really pick up. You want to see revenue growth really kick in and the revenue numbers at a headline number become very, very good. You want to start to see some good gross margin numbers. So this company's in its very early stage, but I, I do share some of the same fears as Henry is in what is their competitive advantage? Um, do they have the size? Do they have access to the equity or debt markets to really grow at, at a rapid rate to compete with many of the big players out there? Um, they do seem to be doing okay. They, as you touched upon in, in the intro for this business, recently signed some agreement with MasterCard, which will give them access to a whole range of customers. Uh, they've also signed an agreement with a company called Fresh Supply Co., um, which is basically aligned to the agricultural industry, providing, helping them provide things like trade finance and, and again, just improving the operational efficiencies of those agricultural companies with a lot of their input costs and, and managing the payments for that and then receipts, and et cetera. So it can be a benefit to businesses, but there are so many out there and I just don't see how this company can necessarily compete. So until they get some real strong numbers on the board uh, and prove good their growth, then it's hard to get excited. So a sell for mine. Okay. All right. Uh, Katie Michael wants a view on Z Energy. And Katie asks, how does this stock compare to market equivalent? Z Energy uh, basically imports and distributes fuel uh, across commercial airlines, trucking companies, mining companies. Uh, market equivalents, would that be Viva or um, uh, I suppose Waypoint if it's a, if it's a retail service station? Um, yeah, that was my, my viewpoint. I went and had a look at Viva and, and, and saw some of what was happening with that company and aligning it to this business, which is primarily operating, if not entirely operating in New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah. Um, so they've got, what, 208 service stations, 160 truck stops. They've got a, a small stake in a refining business in New Zealand as well. Um, from my standpoint, I think this industry is facing significant headwinds long term. Um, obviously, there's the well-publicised move to electric vehicles. That's definitely one, one issue to consider. But by and large, um, automobiles or cars are, are becoming more efficient. Um, the, the old school petrol guzzlers from a, a bygone era are no longer around as much. And the new cars are really quite on top of it when it comes to fuel efficiency. So in terms of a business like this, it's all about getting us to move our fuel consumption away from the standard unleaded up to the premium unleaded. That way they can clip the ticket and get a high margin. But it's a, a challenging environment for that reason. Um, so I'll be steering clear and giving it a miss. Yep. Uh, Henry? Uh, is the answer is that great line from, uh, from Pulp Fiction. Uh, I've got to say, I, I didn't actually think of the Viva um, comparison. I was more going with Ampol, I must oh, yeah. admit. Yep. 
with the with the refining business with the service station side yeah, of that's things. probably more uh, aligned yep it's probably been a, a reopening play to some extent more and more cars traveling around new zealand uh and uh picking up their fuel etc and new zealand's just gone into a three-day lockdown so that's not going to be helpful and as michael says the EV revolution is coming. So you can see on the horizon for Z Energy that there is um, dark clouds brewing. So although they're pretty good in terms of yield, in terms of capital management, and you know EVs may not come as quickly as, uh, as, as in New Zealand as in some other countries, to be honest, but I can't see the attraction of this one. It's had a pretty good bounce off its lows. And uh, I would say that maybe it's done its dash for the time being. It, it's not the most uh, liquid of stocks either, um, being oh. New Zealand based and, and primarily followed, I guess, by our Kiwi mates. So I, I would just avoid it, to be honest. Right. Um, okay. Not a sell, but it's, it, it's a hold for yield. Okay. Um, Cameron wants to view uh, Henry on Coles, a big supermarket chain reported this week, uh, solid result. Suppose you could describe it. Sales up three percent, profit up seven and a half. Uh, fully frank dividend, uh, twenty-eight cents a share. Um, how do you think Coles is going? Um, I think they're going pretty well, to be honest. Uh, it was a pretty good set of numbers. Uh, they've got a pretty good market share now. I think it was twenty-eight, twenty-seven point one percent in terms of market share. Now, I'm, I'm an immigrant to this country. I've only been here 30-odd um, years, 32 years now. Um, but for as long as I can remember, there has been this constant battle between Coles and Woolies. And I'm sure viewers will remember far longer back than I do. Mm. And it tends to be that one, one takes the lead and does something really special. They give away some plastic toys or they cut their prices or whatever they do, and they get into the lead. And the other one languishes a bit for a while, and then they go, well, hang on a second, we should do something. And then there's this competition. Coles were languishing. Uh, they picked up their act. I think also the other thing is that, of course, uh, the lockdowns do help the incumbents. Now, I know from my own personal experience that we tend to shop now, click and collect or shop online that gets dropped on your doorstep rather than going out. I don't want to go out into the community if I can help it. So that's helped Coles. It's helped Woolies. I don't think it's helped Aldi. Because to be honest, I don't see too many Aldi trucks in the mm. streets around near me uh, delivering goods. So um, it's, I guess it's probably hard to get those chainsaws and those other Aldi products in the back of the truck, maybe. But for me, Coles has been a pretty good run and it's done. The results have been pretty good. They, they may need to see a bit of cooling because it has run pretty hard. And this level tends to be a little bit of a, a headwind for them and resistance up here around 1850. So it's definitely a hold quality company in the right place, right time, doing all the right things, good management. And it's uh, one back market share and it's got its mojo back a little bit. I think Woolies is probably the better of the two. But uh, I think, you know, in terms of their competition, the likes of Harris Farm, again, I haven't seen too many Harris Farm trucks around. I haven't seen too many IGA trucks around. Uh, Coles and Woolies will do well in lockdowns because mm. they deliver. Yeah. Okay. So um, uh, Henry obviously came to Australia as a baby, Michael, uh, 20 years ago. But <laughs> um, uh, um, what do you think of Coles? Of course, Woolies have been, had all their headlines the last couple of months, have they? Basically demerged its, uh, all its ESG problems with pubs and poker machines and Dan Murphy's and 
all that sort of stuff. So they've been active uh, and taken the spotlight a bit. Yeah, that's it. But Woolworths is probably becoming more like Coles now in just an out-and-out food yep. retailer. Um, it's hard to get too negative on a company like Coles and Woolworths for that matter, but it's hard to get too optimistic and positive either. Um, so from my standpoint, Coles is a, a hold at the moment. Um, if you want to buy it, you've probably got to try and buy it on the big pullbacks like we saw last year. Did I do that? No, but in an ideal world, that's where you'd like to look at them. Um, their online presence is definitely an attraction. They are definitely growing very, very quickly in that space. But looking at the recent set of numbers, it does look like they've potentially lost a little bit of food market share, not only to the likes of Woolworths, but also to some local distribution as well, um, believe it or not. So you've obviously had a, a resurgent Woolworths in recent years. You've also had Metcash, which have also got their, their act together. Um, they were struggling for a long time there with the old Franklin's brand, um, but they've managed to really build up IGA as a third good alternative along with Aldi. Um, and long term, I don't necessarily think that the international story is over. Um, you might start to see more and more international competitors come into the market. The fact is the margins for Australian supermarkets are the highest in the world. They have been coming down a long way from the heavy days 10 years ago, um, but there's potentially more room for them to fall over time. Um, Coles are also spending a fair bit of money on areas such as automation, such as data science, e-commerce, all that sort of thing as well. Um, so that's actually hurting them in the short term when it comes to their profitability. If they get it right, that might really put them ahead of Woolworths. But as Henry again touched upon, Woolworths and Coles are constantly sort of neck and neck. One will invest in lower prices, which will drive market share to one of the players, then the other player will fight back. So it's very hard to see these companies growing over the long term and anything more than GDP growth, really. So for that reason, it's a it's a hold to a sell, at maybe at these prices even. Okay. All right, uh, Michael Neal wants a view on Garda Diversified Property Fund. They um, have a portfolio of commercial and industrial properties. Um, what do you think of Garda? Yeah, look, it doesn't look too bad at all. Um, I hadn't come across this one, I must admit. But if you're looking for a property fund income producing investment, maybe in an income portfolio, then this certainly seems to have delivered some good results for clients since it listed. So they've got seven industrial sites which have been booming. They've got some office assets as well, which have been booming even despite COVID. They've got about five other development projects in the pipeline as well. So when you look at the yield of 7.2%, um, that's mm. definitely attractive. The 5.5-year whale, 5.78% uh, capitalisation rate, all these figures are, are very, very good. And they have also seen a reduction in their rent deferrals from the middle of last year to the beginning of this year. So it'll be interesting to see how they report and update the market as to how those rent deferrals have kicked back in with the recent lockdowns. But they have done a, a good job in building up their assets under management ever since their IPO in 2015, mostly driven by an uplift in property values. So it's definitely um, worth having more of a look at from my standpoint. I'm going to go away and have a bit of a look at okay. because I do think it can provide some good income in a diversified portfolio. Henry? Can't argue with Michael. He's done his research. Um, it's a uh, good yield, steady as she goes, well managed and getting an uplift from their uh, property valuations. NTA is $1.45, trading a little bit below it. Nothing wrong with this one at all. Slow and steady wins the race to some extent. It's been a, a good climber this year. I think it's up 33% okay. year to date. So 
can't argue with Michael. Yep. It's, it's, um looks okay. Good income. Uh, all right, our yep. final stock. Dave wants a view on InvoCare, which is in the uh, the business of dying. Uh, funeral homes, cemeteries, crematoriums. They own White Lady Funerals, Simplicity Funerals, um, and they're in Singapore as well. Um, Henry, uh, problem is, despite the uptick in deaths in COVID, sort of um, deaths aren't, uh, have actually come down, haven't they? Because we're not driving on the road and we're, uh, hygiene is a bit better. Uh, I've got to say, you're right, David, deaths have come down. And I know that COVID, the, the casualties and the deaths are, are tragic, but it is keeping a lot of people off the roads. It's keeping yeah. a lot of people um, in, in a health that they're, they're not used to. Um, I can't get excited about this one, I must admit. They tried to turn the business from a basically an undertaker's into a celebration of life, building venues where you can go to celebrate rather than uh, yeah. um, be sad, which I think is fantastic. But I can't cheer and get excited about an investment in, in basically the death industry. I, I, I have struggles with the regulation around it. I did like Propel Funerals, which is the second biggest player in the market. And that was a roll up story. They were picking off mum and dad businesses in yep. the undertaking business and uh, rolling them into their business model. Invocare was one of those kind of stocks that was a bit of a glamour stock for a while. I have no idea why. Um, I couldn't get excited about you know cheering when extra people are dying or the flu season comes. Not for me. It, it's probably a hold for lots of reasons, but yeah, okay. really, not, right. not for me. Uh, Michael, uh, quickly on Invocare. Yeah, so I think they've got 290 funeral sort of homes, 17 cemeteries and crematoria. Um, basically, over the last 20 years, the industry was originally very fragmented. They consolidated the industry, put themselves in a decent competitive position. But even despite that, in recent years, they've been acquiring more and more companies, um, investing in updoing those funeral homes. But they've actually lost market share throughout that period. Obviously, lower deaths because of the lower flu season, etc., was a short-term negative. But they haven't really bounced back. And, and people, obviously, if you can't attend the funeral and you can't have hundreds of people there to celebrate someone's life, people are less willing to spend up big on those funerals. And, and, and I think those factors are going to remain in place for some time yet. Perhaps it'll be some a long, long time before people are willing to spend the sorts of numbers they were doing before COVID. So for mine, um, it's a no-go because of the fact they're losing market share and they've got a fairly big expenditure um, pipeline coming up, which will also then hamper earnings going right. forward. So okay. self or right. hold. Michael Wayne from Adalian. Great to have you aboard. Henry Jennings, always uh, great to chat. Uh, appreciate your time, both of you today. Thanks. Thanks, Good Thanks David. And don't forget the Marcus Today newsletter. Um, it is a great source of information, the words of wisdom of, uh, of Henry as well. Just to recap, uh, final five stocks, Seralto, a hold from Henry, a no from Michael, Zen Energy, a no. Uh, hold from both on Coles, both prefer Woolies at the moment. Uh, Garter Property, income investor, nothing wrong with it, keeps delivering, good uh, good performer, uh, Invocare, a no. Uh, if you've got other stocks you want to send to us uh, for adjudication, email us the call at today or tweet us using the at TV handle. Um, if you want to see all the stocks in the Calls Fantasy portfolio, they're at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And um, just a quick note from us here at Osbiz. 
If you know someone who's interested in investing but may, may not be aware of us, now is the time to let them know. If you uh, refer five friends and they sign up, you'll go in the draw to win one of six prizes in a pool worth $10,000, including a $5,000 in a self-wealth trading account. So, uh, And we've also got some premium wine from Nepenthe to give away. Uh, to enter, use, a, use the referral code in your COB newsletter that you get every afternoon and share with your networks. And if you haven't subscribed yet to the platform, to Ausbiz, um, still time to take part. Sign up by going to ausbiz.co forward slash join where you can also read all the terms and conditions. Entries close September the 9th, so good luck. Mm-hmm.